Everyone in marketing will talk to you about the importance of building a brand, why you should build brand equity, figure out brand positioning, communicate your brand effectively to potential and current customers. But putting it in practice is not always straightforward. That's because a brand is not just a nice logo and a cool website. It's the soul of a company. It's your mission and purpose and values. Most companies outsource this exercise or don't give it too much thought. But we're in fintech where a lot of companies care a lot about their brand. And there are some fintech companies where brand is really at the core of what they do. For one, it's so important that they have their own in-house brand team working alongside them. This company is Plio, known for its minimal, attractive and yet strong and recognizable brand. Plio is a B2B fintech that offers smart company cards that automate expense reports and simplify company spending. In this episode, I'm chatting with Luke Richardson, Director of Brand and Communications at Plio. We chat about setting up outdoor campaigns, Plio's global summit at the end of the year, and how he set out to build a successful in-house brand team. Our conversation was highly focused on brand, so I would say the content in today's episode is especially useful for both B2C and B2B fintech companies that know they want to have a strong brand and are maybe unsure of who to hire in-house and what to outsource to an agency. You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast where I explore how fintech marketers are using marketing to help fintech companies fulfill their mission of democratizing finance. I'm your host, Araminta Robertson, partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. Oh, and we've just launched our own Slack group for fintech marketers. It's a Slack community where you can meet other fintech marketers and founders, engage in group discussions with industry experts, and chat about upcoming podcast episodes. We've already got over 100 members from companies like Revolut, Alloy, Currency Cloud, and Clio. Join now at fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. Without further ado, let's hear from Luke. So Luke, my first question for you is, when did you first realize that company expense management was broken and that you wanted to fix it? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think I, hopefully I've got a good answer for it. So I don't come from a financial services background. It's not in any way in my training. I very much come to this as an end user. Actually, in, in a former company I was working in, we were using a product called Plio, the company I'm now working at, of course. And you know, it was an experience that was very intuitive, very end user centric, and ultimately making sure that uh, at the end of the month, when I have to pay, you know, my 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 rents, uh, have a life outside of work, I was able to do that and not have to wait for some expenses to be processed through through the company, and that was an amazing experience. Um, then, you know, within that company, there was actually a, a change of heart, and we went a little bit more, in my opinion, regressive in the way that uh, the company was paying for things, and going back to that more traditional model of handing in an expense report every two weeks or every month and waiting for the, the money to come back through to you. And obviously, I had a, a bit of a taste of the future, right? So I was a little bit frustrated to see us regressing in that way and then ultimately feeling slightly less valued in the way that I can make decisions for the company in, in regards to how we're spending. That's ultimately when you know the stars aligned and I got this opportunity to join this company, Plio, that of course I'd been using the product of. And for me, I was really excited to join to make sure that I could reduce that um, that experience for as many customers and, and people like myself 
out there in the world of work, hopefully pushing towards a sort of more forward thinking approach to how people and companies pay for stuff versus a more regressive one. I really like how you've, you experienced it yourself and you loved it so much that you were like, I have to help the people who are, you know, building this. To me, that's really inherently like a fintech marketer, marketer because you are sold on the purpose. I'd love to expand a little bit more on that because you've mentioned on other interviews that Plio is not just about expense management. It's also mm. a new way of working. What does that exactly mean? Yeah, sure. I think something I heard from uh, a peer of mine not working here at Plio, when you join a new company, it can often be a good litmus test of the company culture and what they're about when it comes to filing an expense, whether that's on Plio mm. or another product, and seeing what the reaction is from your superiors or the finance team. How on top of that expense are they going to be asking for approvals and whether it's in or out of policy? And for me, that's sort of the crux of what we're doing here at Plio as well. I think you know, you've already trusted somebody uh, to hire them and pay them a salary at the end of the month. And obviously with the opportunities to build that company in whichever direction, whether that's in terms of sales, customer success, marketing, and so on. So why wouldn't you trust them to spend on behalf of the, the company using the company money? For me, that's an integral aspect of sort of the future of work where you're you're less reliant, particularly in the times that we've had due to COVID, on the individual, the employee having to pay for something, which is almost entirely for the benefit of the company and not that individual. So it's you know a look through the keyhole of a way that a company is structured, in my opinion, and what they value in terms of that workforce. Do they sort of value a more autonomous, less um, or a bit more bottom-up way of working, or are they a little bit more autocratic, a little bit more traditional in their processes? And, you know, as I said, Plio and this whole area of expense management and doing that in a more inclusive way is, is a look through the keyhole there. It reminds me a little bit, because you could say that also about people. Uh, and it mm -hmm. reminds me of a quote of, uh, I think it's Joe Biden who said it, I don't know, who said, you know, show me your budget and I'll, I'll, I'll know what you value, something along those lines, right? Mm -hmm. And you're saying that, but for companies, you, you see their expense management, you see how they're spending and you'll see what their values are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and something that we sort of said in some of our marketing material, it's also, you know, a credo that you could say that we have in the company as well. Like work can be extremely hard and we can't solve all of those problems, right? But paying for stuff at work really shouldn't be or shouldn't have to be given mm. the many services that you can use. Peer is just one of them, of course, to actually make sure that your employees feel at the end of the day, a little bit less pressured about making sure that those expenses uh, are going to be cleared by the time that they need to pay the rent at the end of the month or their childcare or their healthcare or something else. So yeah, for us, it's very important that we're trying to do something for the end user. And of course, providing that um, visibility and accountability for the finance admins and managers as well. Yeah, of course. Great. That's that's really that's really interesting. So I'd like to today we're going to dive into like three specific uh, marketing approaches, marketing plays that that uh, you do at Plio, and I'm excited to dive into the first one, which is outdoor campaigns. Now this is not the first outdoor campaign you've ever done. You've done several before, but uh, this is the first one since COVID. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit what kind of triggered that idea to start doing outdoor campaigns again, and tell me a little bit about the campaign itself. Yeah, sure. So we've definitely done a little bit of this in the past across a few different markets that we're in. We're in six currently. And at the moment, a point of a recording, we have a small campaign running specifically within East London, 
This is an area where we have many customers already on the books within the UK. Uh, and it's also where our own office in London is. So we're, we feel that to some extent, we're maybe preaching to the converted or to companies mm. like us that could really benefit from a system like Plio. In terms of COVID specifically, you know, I think we've all been really starved of in real life and out of home experiences, having been locked up inside at home or, or elsewhere for, for at least the last year and a half or two years. So for us, it was something very clear that we really wanted to invest in. We wanted to get out there a little bit more. Ultimately, we'd love to be doing more of those, you know, in real life experiences, having connections, conversations with potential customers and customers themselves. Uh, and that's some, we have a few things planned in the, in the future, which maybe we'll get a chance to talk about here today as well. For the campaign itself, we've really tried to put it much more sort of situational to how people are spending or what they are typically buying uh, when they have a Plio card in their po pocket, uh, their back pocket or, or on their phone in terms of Google or Apple Pay. So we have invested in uh, around 150, 200 different six sheets, as they're called in London, uh, placing them in front of buses or bus stops, different places where we know people are really on the go, typically traveling to and from work or just around that sort of vicinity of East London. And it's a, probably a little bit too early to call, you know, the success of that kind of campaign at this point. As I said, we pretty much went around, uh, live around six days ago. But for us, we can really see, you know, at least in terms of like social engagement with this campaign, like people really sort of find appreciating the sort of sense of humor, which I'm not going to butcher on this podca podcast. Hopefully people can go around and, and see the campaign themselves. But the, the sense of humor, the humbleness, the sort of um, proximity of the campaign in relation to the way that people were spending when it means, you know, taking that bus to work or getting on the tube and so on. Then probably a broader point, if I may, around, you know, actually doing out of home uh, campaigns altogether. You know, we are a, a B2B service. We aren't for every individual out there. And, and obviously fintech is such a growing industry at this point and many um, direct to consumer players. Uh, for us, we are B2B. But we acknowledge that every company has to buy something, you know, whether it's um, travel to meet with clients or, you know, the bill to keep the lights on in the office. So therefore, we feel that we have a, a relatively sticky product and a huge opportunity to change the way that companies are spending. So why not go with a more typical sort of B2C play and having an hour of home campaign altogether? Yeah, this is part of a larger kind of um, trend to using B2C experiences for something that's B2B. And we've talked about this before on the podcast where you've got um, someone, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll watch a movie on Netflix, which is super customer centric and, you know, great UX. And you go and do supplier, manage suppliers and directories and it's a nightmare. Um, mm. It doesn't make sense. Why should it be so different? Uh, and basically there's this trend where more B2B stuff is becoming more B2C like experience. And that's what you're kind of, that's the wave that you're riding on. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, luckily that kind of overlaps with the hopefully coming out of COVID experience that we're in right now. Um, mm. Not to say that we're the first, you know, B2B company to be doing an out of home campaign really far from it. But I think from, from my perception as a, a, you know, a native Londoner actually now living in Copenhagen, but when I travel back there and just in general, wherever I may be, I'm much more um, aware of the environment that I'm walking or surrounding myself in. And I'm, my eyes are a little bit more open to some mm. of these campaigns, probably because we've been starved of that experience for the last year and a half, right? So for me, it seems like quite a, um, you know, obviously coming out of a, a degree of adversity due to the pandemic, but coming out of that in a more positive way, you kind of get the opportunity to 
be exposed to brilliant campaigns out there. And it seems like this is a bit of a golden age that we're entering in terms of those experiences. Yes, you're capitalizing on people wanting to see what's out there and kind of being in front of that. You think maybe in a year that won't be so much the case. Well, I'm I'm hoping that it continues because for me, I, I really believe in the in the, again, out of home experience, we're very aggressive in in terms of our digital marketing. And that will, of course, continue. But again, I think you just do have an opportunity to, particularly for a company like ours, where we we are a very uh, vision and values driven company. So we have more of an opportunity to potentially change, not necessarily in a political way, but sort of change the status quo of how companies are spending or how they're working all together. So in some ways, it's kind of nice to get like the biggest megaphone possible and the biggest stage possible to showcase that message. And out of home mm-hmm. typically uh, allows for that. I mean, you've been doing out of home uh, for quite a while now. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the process you go that, that happens behind that and why, because uh, it, obviously it's more of a brand awareness and, and reach approach. What What is the process behind launching these campaigns? Like, yeah, brief well, summary, you'd have to go into huge detail, but. Yeah, sure. I mean, if I'm fully honest, I'm, I'm sounding very, uh, very positive about where we are now. And it's it's mostly following a bit of a hard battle around when we launch a campaign like this, right? Mm. So I'm not too proud to say that we have been considering this for almost a year. I think we start, started exploring this maybe November uh, back last year. And naturally, COVID was an ever-changing beast at that point. So we did have to sort of retreat in a few different instances and and change the concept of the campaign and then also you know simply just delay it because we weren't getting the typical kind of footfall that now we're now experiencing in in the UK in other markets as well so that was probably the biggest specific learning and uh, challenge with this campaign and maybe it will be for the foreseeable future we'll have to see in terms of how we do this more broadly it's probably another part that we'll talk about um, here today is we have a, an internal brand studio uh, which is, you know, a dedicated team of different creatives, uh, motion designers, art directors, copywriters, creative producers, and so on. And the fact that we have that core internal team really means that we're able to go a little bit deeper with these kind of different concepts and creatives that we want to work with. Then, of course, we are working with our people on the ground, whether it's marketing managers, sales directors, and so on, to kind of get a sense of what is the reading on the market. Of course, we can't be everywhere all at the same time. But we can lean on their local expertise to figure out what the what the kind of nuance is within the market at that given time. And then specifically for the getting the campaign out there and seeing what options we have, we've looked at distress media, of course, which is something that is a very typical playbook within a sort of startup and scale-up environment, buying media on the cheap, very close to the point of um, publishing or getting the poster or whatever it is out there. But in this this campaign specifically, we worked with a, a local partner on the ground as a media planner. This is uh, an industry that really is dependent on the relationships that you have with whether it's JC Deco or Global or Clear Channel and other other players. So it's important to have somebody that has you know decades long worth of relationships with those people or with those companies to you know obviously offer the best rates. Then also ultimately, we were basically pinpointing on the map where we wanted to go. It seemed like we wanted to go towards East London. And then I guess the rest is history from that point. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about in a bit is how like it's interesting that you've got a in-house brand design team and you're um you're leading that. Uh how are you, I mean, in order to measure results, for example, you're also going to have to lean on that third party partner, I'm guessing. And you're using footfall and mostly probably footfall in terms of measurement of results, right? Yeah, it's footfall. It's also organic search. 
for, sure. for Clio in general. And and you know, luckily this is launching the campaign itself ultimately is, is gonna be a, a small learning for us coming out of COVID. It's not necessarily a huge bells and whistles campaign, but uh, hopefully the start of many campaigns that will be running like this. It is coming at a time where we have lots of really exciting product developments and updates up our sleeves that we'll be rolling out mm-hmm. in the next few months. So hopefully we'll be able to sort of maximize that effort with a very broad stroke approach, like an out-of-home campaign as well. And just from your own personal experience, because I'm wondering, you know, I think it's like, I remember someone saying this, like it's a, a fintech's dream to have every fintech's kind of Europe, UK dream to have a what do you call it? Like a tube banner in the London tube. It's like the mm. kind of, uh, yeah, everyone wants that. Um, but apart from just cause it's like a, a fintech thing, what, when do you, when do you decide that you're ready to start launching out of home campaigns? Oh, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, because, you know, I think that some companies get there a lot quicker just to realize that they have surplus money at the end of the year budget that they'll otherwise lose and they want to test it out on something. So they they try and find that distressed media opportunity. I think that for us, it's been really, really useful to, I shouldn't downplay the experience of that media planner that we're working with, to get like the local feeling on the ground to what is available for us, given our company size, given our offering, given the, the budget that we have, and then working very closely with them to figure out how can we best stretch that that money and, and create the best campaign possible. So for me, I would say it's quite hard to in-house everything. One of them would probably be your media planning, particularly if you go towards TV or linear TV in particular. That's a whole different ballgame where yeah. you're really dependent on people that have decades-long experience uh, working with uh, diff- different media media houses to, to make sure that can happen. You know, it's, it's a relatively sh- small industry as well. So I think that you'll be... Um, it, it won't take too long to to get good recommendations. And, and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast, of course, if they want to hear a little bit more about this, very happy to to take it as a follow-up conversation around how potentially to spend that money given that specific uh, company or, or industry they may be working in. Yeah, I see how you've kind of started off seeing it as an experiment, seeing how it goes. And then obviously it's worked as an experiment and that's why you keep doing it years later, right? That's mm. kind of the first, that's how you view it first. Definitely. Yeah. And I would say another part that hopefully is a little bit closer towards, well, if I can be uh, inflating my ego a little bit towards my strengths and the internal team that we have, we spent quite a lot of time figuring out specifically what would resonate with us and who we are and Mm. where we wanted to place this, this campaign and who it was for and so on. We basically did a summary of like all of the campaigns that we liked and disliked uh, in similar places to, to where we're now operating or where we're uh, presented. And we categorized the different campaigns based on a few different criteria, whether they were emotionally led, whether they were character led, or whether they were rational. Uh, the rational one is maybe a little bit easier to understand. It's, you know, a wall of text indicating every single thing that your product does. We haven't gone that approach this time. Character led is much more pure to your brand and who you are and what you're all about. You could say that's probably closer to where we are. And then the emotionally led is something that we've dipped into a little bit in terms of playing into humor with this specific campaign. However, it's typically those campaigns that really um, take context of the situation that we're in, uh, given COVID as well. Ones that are sort of in reference to the status quo or how we're all experiencing the world at that time. And it can also mean that these emotionally led campaigns can be quite divisive or 
even worse mm-hmm. like some of them just completely tank and they don't work right there's yeah. there's fewer campaigns that are really emotionally led and do phenomenally well so my suggestion from a sort of brand direction side is don't try to um shake the status quo too much probably better for your initial campaigns to do something a little bit closer towards what is true to your brand and your product offering and what you're all about I really like how you're seeing it through these different kind of like archetypes, really. I, I come mm-hmm. from a digital world. I'm not an expert at all on on out of home. So is this general theory or is there anything anywhere where people can go and learn more about how, you know, you're seeing it through these archetypes and making a decision based on, yeah, that? If I'm honest, this is stuff that we have defined based on our own really? nomenclature. So this is the okay. way that we've, we've been sort of perceiving now. I don't want to... Um, you know, I, I don't want anybody to say I'm actually aping uh, a very common principle in the way that you do out-of-home campaigning, but I can say at least in the way that we've been working, this is just very pure and true to who we are and the way that we've structured the work. And for, for us, I can say on, on the creative side, it, it was very useful to do this categorization because otherwise you end up doing a campaign. This isn't specific to out-of-home, but if you don't find a way of categorizing what you like or what what direction you could go in, you end up doing... A bit of a um, creating a bit of an everything bagel that will probably not be very useful for anyone, right? If you try and appeal to everybody, you ultimately appeal to no one. So having this categorization worked very well for us in the early stages. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that is true. That also applies to content marketing, marketing in general. So I see how mm. you've kind of transferred that over to out of home. That makes sense. The second play I want to chat about is kind of leading on what we've ta- talked about, which is in-house brand teams. For you, it's very important to have part of your, well, most of your team in-house in terms of branding. Can you tell us a little bit why that is the case and maybe how you feel that it benefits you? Definitely. Yeah, this is a topic very close to my heart and also the the experience that I've had at Plio and, and companies before. So I, I joined Plio two and a half years ago, uh, July 2019 or so. And for me, one of the things that really excited me about the role First and foremost is what we were discussing before in terms of having experienced this product and seeing the genuine value that it was providing for businesses, uh, particularly if you then remove it uh, from the business and you're back to a more regressive way of uh, paying, uh, paying for stuff at work. But additionally, it was this sort of opportunity really to, to scale the team, whether that's in-house or external. And for me, it's very important from a brand side to build out a core identity team that you can work with um, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, or asynchronously, or whatever else way that you may be working. And it's not that we're necessarily against the agency approach. We have a few agencies supporting this, not so much on creative work, but more on um, strategic work or giving us insights on the ground, also from a PR perspective. But for me, it's just been very, very obvious that to have an in-house team, if of course you have the mandate and the capability to build it, it provides more uh, not just consistency, but buy-in and passion around the brand that you're trying to build. Naturally, agencies can be phenomenal in, in, in the work that they can deliver for you, but it can often be, feel like you are just another client. Having an in-house team, I feel like you know, sitting just in front of uh, the team, just behind this door, I've got the team beavering away on many different creative projects. I do genuinely believe that they care about what we're doing that they believe in the sort of company vision and, and purpose, and they really believe in taking the brand to the next level consistently. And that's something that's just typically quite hard to, to bottle up and, and expect of a, an agent an agency that is, you know, having multiple clients that they need to 
they need to dedicate their time to on any given week. And here we would use the words, you know, you're building brand equity, essentially, right? Which is uh, mm. an asset. Your brand is an asset. Um, and this is what I talk a lot about also in terms of why fintech needs marketing and, and how fintech can use marketing to differentiate from the incumbents and to actually, you know, democratize finance, improve accessibility. Uh, marketing plays an essential role in, in for example, educating uh, customers because there's so much jargon in, in fintech, whether it's B2B, both both B2B and B2C. Um, mm. And so here by, by building brands or by, by focusing on building your brand, I feel like you're really taking that to heart and you're basically saying, you know, we care so much about our customers that we're, we've got an entire team that is built around uh, making sure that that's communicated effectively. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I would take it one step further that while we are currently situated within the marketing team, the umbrella marketing team as as Brian and Coms, brand is brand is sort of everything. It permeates throughout the business. It's not a marketing, purely a marketing effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, our brand is our support team doing amazing work, making sure that our customers are confident in the way that they're spending and using our product. It's in the sales team pitching the product to and, and its, its purpose and, and, and inherent values to potential customers. It's the principles that we have in the way that we design and build the product itself. It's the way in, in the way that we hire it's it's in everything, including marketing. And we very much see brand as a service within the organization, meaning that we do work pretty much with every single department uh, in any given week. And obviously that can be quite hard to do if you're outsourcing a lot of that effort and you're only working on that next out-of-home campaign, right? One thing that I'm particularly proud of is not even so much the creative work, the aesthetically-led work that we have out there in the wild now and increasingly, um, coming out of COVID, but it's in the fact that 360 people that we have now currently, I think it's around that number, working in the organization, I'd imagine 90% would be able to tell you what the company or the brand vision is and what our brand mission is. And that's something that, yeah, as I said, I'm very proud of because uh, brand, if it's done poorly, can often be very executional. It can be very aesthetically driven. And it, of course, is all of those things, but it should be underpinned in values and strategy. And that's something that I think I'm, I'm quite proud that we've done a good job with permeating throughout the business. And from what I understand, your founders were also, were very keen on this from the start, right? They're willing to take risks. They're willing, they wanted to prioritize brand right from the beginning. Is that right? Uh, from right from the beginning is a little bit before my time, at least. But mm -hmm. I could say from the beginning of my my time at Plio, okay. uh, starting in the <laughs> middle of 2019, we were... I think that, yes, they were definitely ahead of the curve in, in prioritizing this. And again, potentially seeing it as something, not to say agnostic to marketing, but uh, bigger than marketing or sort of spreading across the entire organization. Yeah, I'm asking because, um, you know, I see small fintechs nowadays. The CEO, the founder is, got, is, doing, is wearing many hats, doing many different things, and brand can often feel like it's, you know, secondary, which is understandable considering the huge amount of things you have to do. And we are seeing some fintechs nowadays, I'm working with some of them myself, where they've reached like a huge number of customers already and like they don't even have a brand book um, mm. <laughs> and they don't even mm. have a clearly defined brand. What, mm. what would you say to that? And what would you say to founders who know that brand is important, but they're not really sure where to even start? Like, 
you know, agency or should I just have an afternoon and figure things out by myself kind of thing? Yeah, I, I don't think there's like a one one easy rule or, or a yeah. playbook to 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 dispel here. It really depends on yeah, hopefully at the very least you have a founder that really believes in the value of marketing and brand by extension. And then hopefully the resources the, and the uh, the finances to afford building at least one person dedicated to looking at this holistically within the organization, which I would say is like approximately what, what I'm doing here. I've also been in a very fortunate circumstance to be able to build that team to support me in-house. Mm. At the very least, that person that is prioritizing this within the organization needs to have the resources to work with people out of house to to, to make that, that effort really um to make that effort really sparkle with the organization. However, I, I do feel like, you know, this probably circles back a little bit to what I was saying before. So apologies if I'm repeating myself, but you have to think about brand beyond a fancy logo and color scheme. And often when some people will say that they believe in, in branding, that is what they think of. Mm-hmm. And again, it should be something a little bit more deeper. So for me, a good starting point for a founder trying to to build a brand is what is the the vision or what is the thing that they say to themselves every morning when they get up and look at themselves in the mirror? What are they trying to achieve with X company? For me, that is the branding. That is the thing that you should provide a spotlight for and and try to expand and then flesh out to something, again, aesthetic and, and uh, tonal and so on. Yeah, that's great. Well, if you're a founder listening, ask yourself that question tomorrow morning. What is it? What is your vision? And that's a good place to start. I like that. Mm-hmm. I want to move on to our last marketing uh, play, which is the global summit that you are holding at the end of the year. It's called Forward. Tell me a little bit about this, uh, about the global summit and what your kind of objecti- objectives are with it. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so this is something in the works at present. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly for when this podcast will go live or where pe- when people will hear it, but hopefully if things have gone according to plan, this will be out in the world and you'll be able to, to register for this event. It's something that we've been wanting to do for quite some time. In fact, it's something that came up in my interview process when, when joining Plio. Having an event that was basically assembling the tribe that we have of people forward thinking and believing in the future of work. And by extension, the caring about a slightly more autonomous way of working and also spending. And now we're actually like living up to that promise, uh, which is very exciting. It's a project that we you can never have too much time for. It's something that we want to do yearly. And we're starting small, of course, in this initial run. But we just want to get a sense of the reading uh, within the markets that we're in, but then also further afield around how big is this actual tribe that we're trying to assemble. Uh, companies again or people that are believing in uh, forward thinking business so that that explains the name forward is the name and it's going to be a one-day event happening on december 9th it is a digital summit uh, bringing together big thinkers from the world of work also theorists futurologists to have healthy discussions and debates around what that future of work could look like and this isn't in relation to hybrid working. It's in relation to what does the world of work look like in 2025 and beyond? What can we expect and how should founders and big thinkers within companies shape what they're doing currently to, to make sure that they're ready for those changes? Uh, we're bringing in people from pretty much globally from noteworthy companies. I, I won't reveal too many just yet, but people that we really believe in, that we are inspired by and uh, having those healthy discussions. We're also looking at doing something 
again, this is of course COVID dependent, but again, circling back to those uh, in real life experiences that I think everybody is starved of, or hopefully having a few more of now in the last couple of months, we'd love to do something in person here as well in relation to Forward. And what that is currently looking like is having effectively after parties or continued sessions on the ground in some of our markets, London, Berlin, Stockholm, Copenhagen, of course, uh, where we're bringing people together that maybe have signed up for the summit, maybe gone to a couple of the sessions throughout the day, but then to have a session in the evening, which is, you know, that in real life experience to meet with our team, to meet with other panelists talking more perhaps specifically about the future of work in that given market. And then also one thing I'm really excited by is having effectively sponsorships for that that event with our customer base. As I said, like any company can be using Plio, any company that's paying for stuff. And it means that we actually have a lot of uh, companies in the hospitality, restaurants, bars, services space. So having that pizza, that like local indie pizza chain in London coming and donating 100 pizzas to the however many people we have at that event. That's the kind of thing that we want to to showcase, right? Actually getting some of our customers directly involved in this uh, this event because, you know, ultimately they are they are part of this tribe as well, seen as they're, you know, uh, committed uh, advocates of the brand and the product of Clear. Yeah, wow. That's, I see uh, an element of community there where you're effectively getting your customers to take part in your own efforts you can call them marketing but in general as you said before branding and and your company efforts in general so that's quite cool are you so who who is this for exactly so it's a digital summit of one day is it like you know free to attend anyone can join or is it specifically more like decision makers at businesses kind of thing yeah that's a, a strong caveat so it is completely free to to attend to sign up we won't be expecting uh, any money to, to to pass hands and by extension actually something that we're looking at doing is um or, or trying to to get happen i'm not sure if it'll be there by the time that we launch this on uh october 5th is the time the point we're aiming to go public with this so again hopefully past the point of people listening yes but we are looking to to have um partners uh, in terms of NGOs and charities that we can actually be giving a donation to for any legitimate registrant for the event. And this would be with companies or charities focusing around financial literacy and making sure that people are fully equipped with understanding uh, finances, which is something that I personally could feel like I could benefit from in terms of my personal finances. And then additionally, making sure that um, could be charities supporting um, bringing homeless or disadvantaged people into work, which is something that we're really passionate about as well. So that's something we have in the background. In terms of who this event is really for, it's definitely for those future thinking leaders or people looking for inspiration. This could be from companies like us, 350 plus people, or from uh, founders that just have big ideas, but not quite the product market fit or even the product to really uh, distribute to, to, to a market just yet. So we want to attract executives or founders across the board in our markets, the six ones that we're in, plus further afield looking at the US and beyond. Nice. And you, you've mentioned you've been working on this for a while. Like, How long did it take to organize everything? I can just imagine it being quite a project. <laughs> oh, I remember we're not even... <laughs> we, I wish we had more time. Uh, I think mm. this is a kind of project that you could spend years on. Oh God, yeah. And yep. Um, for us, I think we've got a total from start to finish of three months. So it's a very short runway to make something like this happen. Luckily, again, it kind of circles back to the second point around the amazing in-house team that we have mm -hmm. that really yeah. make things like this possible. 
but we we know like friends of the of the brand and other companies that have done events like this in the last year or so typically spending a year or up to 10 months yeah. making this yeah. happen but again i think that this is part of the charm of you know a scaling company like plio that we we realize that this is potentially a future uh, dreamforce style event but even dwarves started small and that's what we're doing this year nice yeah no i'm i'm, I'm seeing more fintechs also doing these kinds of events uh, in ha- uh, sorry uh, in person or online, and it's very exciting to see kind of why yeah how that's evolving. And also, anyone who's into fintech will be like trying to get to all of them. I was just recently chatting to Graham uh, at and they organized fint uh, Graham at Move. They organized fintech DevCon, mm. and uh, it was kind of like the, the reason they did it was because like there w- they wanted to go to a dev conference about fintech, and there just wasn't one. And so they were like, well, let's just do it ourselves. Is this also why, like, are you, have you seen, are there other digital summits like this on the future of work? And are you trying to become kind of a, um, I don't want to use the word thought leader, but <laughs> like, hmm. a, you know what I mean? Like um, kind of pioneering that space. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we're doing, we're, we're making some kind of change. Again, I'll, I'll refuse the, the term thought leader. I think it's more an acknowledgement that we have luckily grown quite handsomely during this um, last, last, mm-hmm. last couple of years, which in itself is an achievement and we should be very proud of. We've also raised a lot of money, which is something that we will directly put into investing into new markets and opportunities. So clearly we're onto something. And I think that this event is crucially an acknowledgement that we're not alone in, in that in that purpose of, of changing the future of work. So, again, I'm, I'm very much inspired by uh, Seth Godin's book Tribes, mm. outlining that to assemble a tribe is is what uh, companies like us really need to do. We don't just need to preach to the converted. We need to, again, find that stage and the biggest microphone possible to to share this 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 story to, to the wider world. So that's ultimately what we think that we're doing with this event. And of course, we'll have an address from our CEO and co-founder, Yepa. But this will be a relatively light PLEO event. Don't expect to have promotions about how brilliant the product mm. is. We really want cool. to open up the stage and the platform to people that we're inspired by and think other future leaders will as well. Yeah, this is all something I'm, I'm, I'm seeing across these events. It's like not sales driven or promotional. It's more like for the community and I'm all for it. Of course, it's exciting, super exciting. It kind of leads me on to my next question, which is you've mentioned that your your North Star is to um, empower 1 million users by 2025. I like how specific that is. You're also, obviously, that's a very smart goal, right? Like specific and measurable and all that. Why? What made you pick that? And how have you noticed, in what ways have you noticed that this has helped kind of bring together the team? Yeah, it's, it's a good good question. I think that we we come to understand that North Star in many different ways across the organization. Specifically, it's one million empowered users. And empowered. The, the, the crucial term there is, of course, empowered. We want to make sure that we actually have people using the product and understanding the inherent values of it. And I think that that is, again, very similar to the way that we operate as a company where no surprise, every single person in the company has a PLEO card and the ability to spend on whatever they need to do their best work. That's something that ultimately was a, a good mirror or reflection of, of all the way that we organize as a company. So it seems to be that everybody is, you could say, a little bit scared about what that looks like in terms of the next three or four years to get towards that North Star. But everybody seems to be pulling in the same direction to achieve that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Luke. Uh, before um, we end this podcast, I have one more question for you, which is, 
You've mentioned that you, uh, in a previous interview, you've mentioned that you, um, you come from a film critic background. And I love how in marketing people come from very different backgrounds. And this is partially why I, I love this industry so much. And I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, like, in what ways do you feel that that has helped you become a better marketer? Hmm. I'm not sure if watching 365 films in one year <laughs> has made me a better marketer for financial services scale up, but I can say that it has provided that experience as well as time working in broadcasting, stand-up comedy, and a few different areas. It's provided a very healthy outside-in outside perspective on what marketing is and what it could be used for mm. and the differences between good and bad marketing, bad in my definition, based on providing more noise, but very little outcome or support or a positive change in the world, which sounds very lofty, but effectively it means that I, I, I very much believe in, in the projects and the companies that I work for. And, and hopefully in this case, like providing uh, an inherent good for the way that companies are running. So I think that that, again, yeah, that being a film critic, being working in areas outside of like pure marketing, it's enabled a, a good, um, purview outside of marketing to realize that uh, you know that there's so much more to the world than uh, uh out of home campaigns performance marketing and yeah. everything else that goes with the marketing stack and i would say also empathy right because you're understanding mm. i mean at the end of the day film directors are the ultimate marketers right because they have to they have to write a story and they have to a compelling story that people want to watch so it's they're very aligned i feel like very Definitely. And, yeah. and, you know, on the brand side specifically, I guess the director is the person rallying the team behind that single vision or project. And, and again, that's something that I really try to spend as much time thinking about here at Blear or not just thinking about that next marketing initiative, but really how can 360 plus people uh, believe in that same uh, vision and mission that we're headed towards? Good point. You're essentially a film director. In-house film director. Kind if of. this whole Clio <laughs> thing doesn't work out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna nice. to become the next Scorsese <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yes, of course. Great. Well, thank you so much, Luke, for coming on and, and giving us your insights. I think there, it, was, it was really kind of you to go so in-depth. And I'm yeah, looking forward to seeing your, more about the summit and also your outdoor campaigns. Not, they're not in Edinburgh, but oh, uh, yeah. If you ever come to Edinburgh, I will keep my Maybe next out. year. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Well, yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com and then click on podcast. We've also got a fintech marketing Slack community where you can meet fellow fintech marketers and founders, ask podcast guest questions ahead of a show and attend exclusive online events with industry experts. We'd love to see you in there hear your feedback and learn about the challenges you're currently facing in your role. To join, head to fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. That's all for today. See you in the Slack. Slack.